Pastor Matt, you ready? Man of God, come on. Help me welcome Pastor Matt Scott all the way from Moody, Alabama, the gathering place. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to Matthew 24. Let's go. Look at your neighbor and say, let's go. I got all five of my kids here tonight. Raise your hand, kids. So I need... I need 100 people to give $3,000 each to put them through college, and we'll just... Jeff, will you come and collect it? Well, how are y'all laughing? All right. We'll just believe in the Lord. Matthew 24. I'm on assignment tonight. Seems like every time I'm here, we do spiritual warfare stuff, and... uh, but the time, the time is, is crucial, and so I just want to do a little bit of exposing and also a little bit of preparation, and so um, I think it's going to be helpful. If halfway through it, it's not helpful, we can always just start baptizing people, right? But um, imagine being forced to play a game that you could not possibly win. Imagine someone coming to you and saying, I'm going to force you to go through all of the effort, all of the hard work. You got to go through everything. You got to play this game, but there is no possible way that you can win. How demoralizing would it be? How bitter would you be? if you had to play a game that you couldn't possibly win. Now, I'm an Auburn fan. This is how we feel every year during the Iron Bowl. But that is the posture and the position of our enemy. He is being forced to play out a scenario that is impossible for him to win. Like he has already been defeated but he's being forced, he's being forced to play out the narrative. And the narrative goes something like this. God created Satan to be the worship leader in heaven, but Satan, full of pride, wanting to be higher than God, as the scriptures say, chose pride instead of his position of leading worship in heaven. Because of his pride, pride always results in a fall, He was cast out of heaven unto the earth. And I imagine, I'm adding this part, but I imagine full of pride that the devil looked at God and said, I led worship for you. There is none like me. My body is instruments. I am a beautiful masterpiece made by you. If I don't lead worship, then who will worship you? And I imagine at that point, God reached into the dirt, squeezed it, blew into it, and said, they will. They will. And through them will come a seed. Through them will come the solution. Through them will come my son. And on the last day, He's going to be the one that takes you out once and for all. And I'm going to make you watch. 
I'm going to make you watch throughout history. As these people worship me and glorify me, and in and through them, the narrative is going to be played out. So right now, our enemy, think about it, he has an expiration date. There's an expiration date coming to him, and he's aware of it, and he knows it. Personally, my theology, my eschatology, this is what I believe about the end times. I don't think that there is a date on the calendar that God has picked. That despite what goes on in the earth, he's coming back no matter what. I don't believe that because Jesus said a few things that should lead us to believe that he's not coming back. The Father will not send him back until we complete the task that has been given to us. There was an assignment that Jesus gave before he left to reach the nations. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and forever I will be with you. He also said that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every nation and then, everybody say, and then, and then the end will come. We have an assignment. And the assignment does include corporate gatherings like this, but it, it's, it's really not contingent on how we gather. It's contingent on how we scatter. The scattering of the church resulted in the nations being reached. They gathered to worship the Lord. They gathered to be, receive impartation. They gathered to be healed. They gathered to be delivered. But then they scattered to reach the nations. So we have an assignment. And the enemy knows that if, 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 if we ever work together, if we ever figure this out, that his end will come really quickly. So he really has only one play in his book. The only play that he has is this. Delay the game. Delay of game. I must delay the inevitable. If you knew that you had an ultimate demise, you would do everything possible to delay that day. Would you not? And he, and he, unlike God, is in time and space. God is outside of time and space, but Satan is in time and space because he was cast from where God is to the earth. He is the God of the earth, so he is in time and space. He feels what we feel as it pertains to hours and minutes and months and days. He feels it. So his strategy is to delay the inevitable, okay? So if he's going to delay the inevitable, what must he do? Well, it's actually pretty simple. Distract and deceive you. He has to distract and deceive you and me. He has to divide us. He has to create disunity. This is, if, if we ever all got together and figured out, that we have an assignment and that if we work together, if we put aside petty denominational lines and petty doctrinal issues, if we ever all work together, there's billions of Christians on the planet, if we ever work together for just a week, 
Just a week. Do you know what could be accomplished? I mean, we could just say, hey, all right, Baptists, y'all go to Africa. Methodists, y'all get your, get, like, like, we could literally reach the world in a couple of weeks. So his tactic, can you not see the tactic? So he hates unity, but I'll tell you what he hates more than unity, revival. He hates revival. He knows that if this spreads, people will come from everywhere in order to receive salvation and healing and deliverance. They'll come from Maine. They'll come from Africa. They'll come from Australia. He hates hates revival. And every time a revival hotspot surfaces, every demon in hell is deployed to that place. A lot of you are part of this house. A lot of you are part of this movement. A lot of you are are close to everything that's going on. And I promise you this, if you've been part of this for any length of time, you have felt this. I got to give up. You have felt the weight. You have felt the tension. You have felt so many things coming against this house. And I'm here to tell you, It's worth it. It's worth it. The the warfare is worth it. If you're not being attacked, you're not in a good place. You're not worth attacking. You're probably not hurting the devil. You're probably helping the devil in some way. So Jesus actually has a lot of advice as how to be people of God in the end times, but also how to be people of revival in the end times. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. There's actually one spirit that collectively works, especially in the end times, according to Jesus. He he said there's going to be one spirit that tries to resist the inevitable. And this spirit is at work today. I'm seeing it more clearly than I've ever seen it before. And it's the spirit of deception. The title of tonight's message is Do Not Be Deceived. Do not be deceived. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. Jesus is talking about the end times. And this is how he begins. He says, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. When, everybody's, when somebody says watch out, it should get your attention. This is an attention-getting phrase. He didn't start it with therefore. He didn't start it with uh, I say unto you. He starts the narrative. He starts the teaching with watch out. And he's talking to his disciples. These are mature individuals. He says watch out that no one deceives you. No one deceives you. He's not talking to people outside of the church. He's talking to people inside of the church. Watch out that no one deceives you. And then he talks about what the end is going to look like. He talks about the pandemics. He talks about the epidemics. He talks about the the division. He talks about the chaos. He talks about all of the things that are going to happen in this season. And then skip down to verse 24. He says, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. 
So he says, in the last days, you're going to have all this social unrest. You're going to have all this political unrest. You're going to have natural disasters, unlike you've seen before. You're going to have sickness, unlike you've ever seen before. You're going to have persecution of Christians, unlike you've ever seen before. And in the midst of all of this chaos is a spirit that's at work. And it's the spirit of deception. The spirit of chaos and the spirit of deception work hand in hand. And here's why. It's much easier to be caught off guard and deceived in the midst of chaos than it is in the midst of peace. In the midst of chaos, your mind is scattered. You're looking at all of the other things. You're, you're, you're tempted to bite into anxiety and bite into fear and be led by other spirits. In the midst of chaos, it is really easy to lose a person in a crowd. It's easy to not find your way. When there is chaos, you can be deceived really easily if you're not careful. So Jesus says, in the last days, there's going to be lots of chaos. Are you seeing any chaos in the news right now? Are you seeing any chaos in the world right now? In the midst of all of the chaos, the true spirit that is at work is a spirit of deception. But he goes on to say, that in the midst of this chaos and deception will be another movement of people who are not deceived and they'll reach the nations. That's what he goes on to say. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Should be up there. I think, gosh, they're up there? No? I'll read it. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, did I tell you the, the place? 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Do you see this? Does it say that? Okay, just making sure that my Bible reads like yours. Will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. He's not talking about cults or satanic worship. He's talking about teachings that are come from within the church that lead people astray. This is not going to be obvious. You know, I think a lot of Christians say, well, I think I'll know if I'm being deceived. The definition of the word itself <laughs> nobody walks around going i feel like i'm possibly being deceived right now <laughs> if you're being deceived you don't know you're being deceived Dece and here's the thing about deception deception is always subtle it always begins subtle. Nobody wakes up and says, today is the day that I will begin my descent into addiction. Today is the day that I will begin my division in marriage. Today is the day that I'm going to start a journey of cheating on my wife and leaving my family. Today is the day. No, it is a small thought that leads to a slight compromise. It doesn't start with pornography. It starts with a woman in a swimsuit. 
Nobody just goes full-blown pornography. It starts with a slight compromise. It leads to another picture that leads to another picture that leads to another picture that leads to another video that leads to another thing that leads to an extramarital affair. So the deception that he's speaking about is going to be subtle. It's always subtle in one's life. And one of the things that he's talking about here is the mixture, oh, and I'm seeing this in the church, the mixture of truth and lies. Phrases like this, we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah. We believe that Jesus paid for your sins and through Jesus you can get to heaven. But it's possible there are also other ways. being taught universalism mixed with Christianity Scientology mixed with Christianity paganism mixed with Christianity witchcraft mixed with Christianity I was at a church recently doing a conference and I'm walking through the hall and I see a I see a something on the wall that's advertising a Reiki healing class Anybody know what that is? Witchcraft. If you have to go outside of Holy Spirit to get your healing, it's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. <laughs> Mixture. Mixture. I can wear my cross t-shirt and my pearls and my crystals. I can light my candle and I can light my incense. Mixture of truth and lies. This is where it begins. So he's not talking about Christians just jumping ship going, I'm no longer a Christian. I want to be a devil worshiper. Nope. Through the church, there's going to be compromise Around the scriptures, things are going to start getting removed. They already are. Things are going to start getting taken out. We're going to stop reading verses like homosexuality is a sin. But we'll also stop reading verses like if one has looked upon someone with lust, they have also committed adultery. <laughs> Gonna stop reading those verses. Teachings that there are more than one ways to heaven. Teachings that some sin is okay. Teaching things that the Bible is no longer relevant around certain topics. Teaching that the Bible is not always authoritative. Teachings that you should live how you feel like living. As long as Jesus is part of your life. Like a multivitamin. How does this even happen? How does a place... Listen, I, have, I personally know people 
I personally know people who experience radical deliverance and restoration and salvation from the Lord. They were healed in their body. They were delivered of demons. They were on fire for Jesus. And now they're in cults. How do you get from this to this? How does it happen? 2 Timothy 3.13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Wax worse and worse. The Apostle Paul is writing Pastor Timothy here. Not all translations say wax, but if you look at the Greek, that's what it is. Kaneo will teach you that. So Paul is giving Timothy a point, but he's also giving him an illustration of how it works. When they used to make candles, they weren't Bath and Body Work 3 wick, you know? They would take a wick, a singular wick, they would dip it in wax and let it dry. Yes? Dip it again, let it dry. Dip it again, let it dry. Dip it again, let it dry. After the first couple of dips, you could still see the wick. The wick is symbolic of what is pure. The wax is symbolic of what is deceptive. The wax hides the wick. So Paul says this is how deception works and this is how people will deceive. Dip by dip. One little phrase and then let it rest. Come back later with another little phrase. And you might resist at first. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And then you think about it for a minute. Well, maybe he's right. He's a pretty smart guy. He went to school. You know, he's got to have some type of knowledge. He's up there with a microphone. He's on YouTube. My goodness, he's got to be. He's got, he's got 12 million followers. That's got to be some credibility. Yeah, probably 11,000 are robots. Dip after dip. This is how, this is how the enemy deceives you. And it's not just concerning theology. It's not just concerning the faith. It's concerning your identity. It's concerning your relationships. It's concerning everything in your life. One little comment dipping your mind followed by another one the next day and maybe another one three days from now and then another one, it's dip after Every day, your mind is being dipped. And it's actually impossible to avoid because we live in the world. So I'm not saying that you can avoid the dipping, but there are certain things that you can have in your life that keeps the wax from building up on the wick. If you don't have things in your life that strip the wax away, it's not long until you're a three-wick candle caught in deception. This is how it happens. One little thought. It's not that bad. You've done worse. I mean, my goodness, probably everybody in the church is doing it. Followed by another. Followed by another. Followed by another. Well, you, you deserve a new person. She doesn't give you any attention. 
God would probably want this. Would he? And it's so easy to deceive people who don't know God's words or can't hear God's voice. Second Thessalonians 2.3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Did we not just say this? He's doomed to destruction. And on his way out, this is what he's going to do. He's going to attempt to have this great rebellion within the church, and there's going to be many people within the church that actually side on the side of the Antichrist. This leads me to believe that this person could potentially be a person of authority or a political figure that says all of the things that Christians want to hear, but secretly he's living a life that does not align. you got to be careful who you fall in love with without knowing, who you let lead you. Many will fall from the faith. Many will rebel against God. Many will be deceived, and it won't happen in a moment. It's not going to happen in a day. It's not going to happen in a week or a year. It's going to be sudden. And this deception, the way that a lot of this deception works... And I've seen this. People come into houses like this and they experience a move of God. God moves powerfully in their life. And all of a sudden they start hearing this voice that says something like, this isn't real, you need to get out of here. Like Pastor Todd said. Oh, you got to go, you got to go. This is fake, this is not real. You got to go, this is not safe. This is, this is too much. This is overboard. This is charismania. This is not good for your kids. You hear these voices that tell you to flee, that tell you to run, that tell you to get out of places like this because there's spirits in hell that don't want you here. They don't want you in the water. They don't want you getting free. They don't want you getting filled with power. So these voices come into churches like this and they'll even seduce the leadership from within. Why? Because it's trying to cause friction. It's trying to cause division. It's trying to get people out of this place. I mean, does the word of God not also say that in the end times, people are going to look for houses that will just tickle their ears? They'd rather have their ears tickled than be set free of the demonic torment that's in their life. So friction often comes from within. And I'm telling you, don't be deceived when you hear voices. Because not every voice in your head is God. And not every voice in your head is you. This is why we're commanded to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It kills me when people says, say that this is not biblical. What's not biblical about this? Well, nowhere in the Bible do I say... What? Nowhere in the Bible do I see baptism used outside a profession of faith. What about Jesus? Why did Jesus get in the water to get saved and let everybody know that he got saved? 
Is Jesus our example? Yes or no? What happened when Jesus got in the water? The Spirit of God spoke. He parted the clouds. He prophesied over him. And then the Spirit descended upon him. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is the most biblical thing in the water I've ever seen. You can't find a form of baptism in the Bible as it pertains to profession of faith. We're just told to baptize. That's all we're told. We're not given any instruction. And if you read the accounts of first century Christians, they're doing it in several ways. They're dunking people where water was available, but do you know they're in the middle of a desert? So they're also pouring water on people's heads. They're sprinkling, they're dipping water in reeds, and they're sprinkling it on mass crowds of people. We get all these baptism debates like we think we know what's going on. The Bible doesn't even tell us. If I were the devil and I knew my date was coming, this cannot happen. This can't break loose. This can't go to Maine. This can't go to South Carolina. This can't go to Texas. This can't go to North Carolina. This can't go to Australia. This can't go to Asia. This can't go to North Korea. This can't go to China. We got to shut this down. How do you shut it down? You don't shut it down from the outside. You shut it down from the inside. You shut it down from the inside. You deceive people who are in the house to believe that this is of the devil and not of God. You deceive people to believe that the leadership is tarnished. You deceive people to believe that this is all about money and books. You deceive people to believe things that are not true. You listen to voices that aren't God. And wax after wax, you get dipped. And then you find yourself all alone in a cessationist church, faking of God, and you forfeited your calling in life. You got disqualified. Listen, brother said it. Was it Kaneo guy's name? Aaron, I'm not as worried about you. I'm not as worried for you as I am for your kids and your grandkids. This, listen, this stuff is happening fast. Have you not seen the turn that our nation has taken, the church has taken just in the last three years amongst the chaos? And I'm here to tell you the chaos is not going to slow down. There's going to be more chaos. There's going to be more. Jesus, read the Bible. Matthew chapter 24 says this stuff is going to get accelerating. It's going to be a lot of chaos. And in the midst of all of this chaos, you better be grounded. You better be rooted. You better know this better than, you better know this better than you know yourself. This is the only thing that you can trust. His voice is the only thing that you can trust. Well, I hear his voice. Ah! I don't think that you can hear the rhema word of God without knowing the logos word of God. Listen, the devil, he, he masquerades as an angel of light. He's going to tell you things that sound like God. 
But we have this quick and now culture. You know, I want to I operate in the gifts and I want to lay on hands and you don't even know the Beatitudes. <laughs> I want the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, I know. I listen to the audio Bible. Praise God. Better than nothing. There's three things you need to make a priority. And like Aaron said, you need to make this a priority for your family, your kids. Listen, we're teaching our, oh, we spend so much time teaching our kids to do stuff that doesn't matter. Spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, travel all over the planet for travel ball. Yeah, and okay, they can hit a hanging curveball. But what good is that going to do them when the devil gets up in their face? You going to hit a curveball? He's not impressed. We spend thousands and thousands of dollars to get tutoring so that they can make an ACT score or an SAT score to get in the college of their choice. Just hoping and praying that they can get a job better than ours and they can succeed in life. Okay, great. They've got a bunch of degrees and they make six figures. What good is that going to do them when the devil comes after their family? Even worse, I know you're proud of their accomplishments, but how sad will it be on that day when Jesus is separating sheep from goats and your kid's not with you? Will you be happy that you spent all the money then? Well, they're in hell, but they sure can't hit a curveball. I kid, but this is serious stuff. We only get one shot at this. Man, I'm, I'm feeling the tension of the compromise that's taking place within the body of Christ. Guys, I know that the game has been won, but that doesn't mean that you get to sit the bench. You have a role to play. You have a race to run. You have a baton to grab and then pass off to the next generation. This is serious stuff. But again, if I were the enemy, this is what I'd want. Get this out of their hands. Convince them that church is optional. And make them fall in love with the world. That's what I would do. That's the play that I'm playing. And he's, and he's doing a good job. No more. Not on our watch. If you're in my church, you don't get to sit the bench. This is not a sit the bench church. This is not a sit the bench movement. Everybody has a part to play. Three things you need to do to make a priority. These are quick. Number one is you have to make God's word a priority in your life. Like I'm, I'm sick of hearing I'm not a good reader or I don't. Uh, I don't like to read, or uh, I hear this a lot. I'm sure you hear all this. It's, the Bible is difficult for me to understand. I have been amongst people groups, illiterate, illiterate, 
people groups who after salvation hunger for the word of God so much that they find a literate person to read to them. Or they find an audio Bible or they find a resource or one of the most common miracles that we see in India. This is one of the most common. This is going to blow your mind. People get saved who are illiterate and within a day they can read. For the Bible. It's become so common that the pastor of the movement that we're a part of just puts Bibles in people's hands and says, just start reading. I don't know how to read. You will in a minute. It's happening. This is is how how, how passionate God is about this. But for some reason, and it's hard for them to get them. They can't even get Bibles. It's illegal. But over here, we have them everywhere. And we're some of the most passive, nonchalant, meh. Do you know that this could, this could determine the salvation of your children? You having the, listen, you having the right words at the right time? Could be life or death for someone. Literally, eternal life or death for someone. You having the right words at the right time. So you need to make this a priority. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing, this is, don't miss this. Piercing to the division of soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. (laughs) This strips the wax after you get dipped. If you don't have this in your head, wax starts forming. But this acts as a weapon, a knife to cut the wax off of the wick after you get dipped. It divides the soul and the spirit. What is the soul? Mind, will, and emotions. The way that I feel. So when your soul says, I feel like looking at this, the word of God says, no you don't. And if you do, just know that it is going to, the sin of lust and sexuality is not just a sin against your mind, it's a sin against your whole being. It reminds you like, whoa, one little peak is not okay. I don't care who said that, but it's false. This is why your tail needs to be in Caneo. Like $1,100, are you kidding me? Like we, we pay 15 grand to go to Disney. You, you paid five grand for your beach place to go on vacation. Some of you are like, well, I ain't got money like that. Total up your Starbucks bill last year. Don't, don't, don't. Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain fell, floods came. What is that? Chaos. You ever been in a hurricane? 
You ever been in a tornado? Chaos. Chaos. In the midst of chaos, the rock, the house founded on the rock, stood firm. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, come to church, listen, leave unaffected. He's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Chaos came, beat that house, and it fell like a deck of cards. Without this, your life, your children's life, your grandkids' life is going to fall like a deck of cards every time chaos comes. I'm constantly counseling people who live this way. I'm all good as long as there is no wind. But the moment that wind comes, you would, you would think it's the end of the world every single time. And they live, they, their, their Christian walk looks like this, up, down, up, down. There's no stability. There's no roots. There's no strength. Why? I think a big part of it is this is not hidden in their heart. Got to make God's word a priority. Apply it to your life. Save you. Very chaotic seasons. Number two is prayer. You know this. Look at your neighbor and say, you know this? Prayer. The main reason God wants us to pray is it's not about what he's going to do through us. That's a big part of prayer. Praying and God working through us. But the biggest part of prayer, you know the biggest reason that God wants you to talk to him is because of what he's going to do in you. Like it's transformative. Talking to God is transformative. 2 Corinthians 3.16, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, places affection and attention on the Lord, as Moses did, the Lord is spirit, and whenever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Every time Moses spent time with God, he was literally transfigured. He became so bright, his countenance became so bright, they had to put a veil on that mug. Because it hurt their eyes. Paul says, in the opposite way, when you spend time with God, veils are removed. You start to see more of God. You start to see more of his glory. And as you begin to see more of God, you're changed, you're transfigured, you're more in love. And what used to trip you up no longer trips you up. Do you know why? The thing that prevents you from sinning the most is not discipline, it's love. And the deeper in love you are, the harder it is for you to fall. What keeps you faithful to a spouse? It's not your vows, you don't even remember them. Do you remember what you said on that day? Do you remember everything that you said on that day? You said some pretty heavy stuff. For richer, for poor, for death, us do part. You were speaking covenant language and you didn't even know it. You were saying things like, in the presence of God in these witnesses, I, I promise 
therefore, I shall do it. You promised to God. You made a covenant first and foremost to God and then to the person. So, I mean, that should keep, keep you faithful, right? The only thing that will keep you faithful is love. And you can't fall in love with a person that you never talked to. Hey, listen, and I, I, love, I love prayer cultures. But if the only time you ever talk to God is in this room, something's wrong. I mean, think about it. If I only talked to my wife when we were at church, she might like that. This is about relationship. This is not about religion. This is not about coming to prayer, tugging on God's arm. This is not about a bunch of people getting in a room so this will heat up a little bit on Sunday night. This is about people who are deeply in love with Jesus and the corporate prayer is just an overflow of our personal prayer. We've been talking to him all week and now we're all going to talk to him together and we're going to contend for other people and this prayer is less about us and it's more about them. It's more about the people that get in and God likes that. He really likes it. But he usually doesn't respond to strangers. So get to know him every single day. Learn to hear his voice. Because listen, if you get to hear his voice in prayer, all it takes is a whisper to get your attention in the midst of the chaos. We've been to Disney several times, and listen, there's like thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Pastor Marty loves Disney. Come on. Disney. Get stones thrown at us. Yeah, I get it. But we've been to places where there's lots of crowds, and one of them can yell, Daddy? Or Matt, and because I know their voice, I can pick them out amongst thousands of people, right? I mean, there's lots of people screaming, Daddy. Can you hear his voice? Do you know when he speaks? Like, do you know him that well? Prayer is the way that you get to know the voice of God. And last thing is come to church. Make church a priority. And I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm saying this because it's in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us, not, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see that day, capital D, approaching. Okay, as we get to the end of this race, it's going to be even more important that we come together corporately. You know why? Because things happen when we're in this space. When the anointing of God is in the room, God makes deposits. God speaks to you. God strips away wax. God gets your attention. He pulls you off of a course that's leading to your demise and puts you on a course that leads to life everlasting. Decisions get made in this room. This is important. So enough of this once a month garbage. Like, don't even come. Seriously, what good is it doing? You're not getting any bonus points by simply going to church when you feel like it. You have to treat this space as a temple of worship, yes, but also as a clinic where you receive treatment, where you receive direction, where you receive instruction, where you receive encouragement. You get beat up all week. You need a place.
place to come where you can get loved on, where you can get encouraged, where you can be taught the full counsel of the scriptures. Like this place is like a gym. It's hard to find places like this. And if you're from other places, you're from other states, you need to find you a spirit-filled church that will that will teach the full counsel of God. Do you know how hard you have to work to be a cessationist? That's a lot of work. You gotta believe stuff that's not in the Bible. You gotta make excuses. You gotta paint a picture of God that's not accurate. It's really hard. So why don't you find you a church that believes that what God once did, He's still doing. He, he, Jesus never said, "Those who believe in me will do the same things that I did until the Bible's printed, and then I'm shutting it down." But yet, there's people. Who believed that once the Bible was in print, that all of the gifts were no longer needed. The the goal of Christ was not to get a Bible written. It was to reach the nations. I'm glad we have the scriptures. But the Acts 2 church didn't have the Bible. Think on that for a minute. So come to church. And receive ministry as often as you can. I witnessed these two individuals right here. At my church on Friday night. After ministering to 60 or 70 people. I said, alright, we're done. They said, no we're not. We want to be baptized. We want you and Stevie to baptize us. At this point I'm like. You've probably been in there enough. I mean, you walk around with wrinkly fingers. You're so wet, you know? They wanted to receive ministry. Why? What have they figured out? You never arrive. And there's always more. There's always more. And so here we are on a Friday night in Moody, Alabama, and they're getting baptized not just once. I think Karen went down like seven times. Todd went down a few times. Just when you think you've had enough is probably the point in which you're just beginning. And who knows? I've I've read about so many revivalists. It wasn't the first encounter. It wasn't the second encounter. It was like the fourth or fifth encounter with God where everything changed. Sometimes God's just saying, How hungry are you? How many times will you get in? And he may just surprise you on that sixth or seventh time and give you something that you never dreamed of. It's time that we get serious. These are serious days. This is a serious hour. And we have an enemy that's not happy about the fact that his day's coming. And he wants to take it out on you. He wants to take it out on your kids. But like our brother said... Greater is he who is within us than he who is within the world. Can I hear a good amen? All right, stand up. Let's go. Let's get let's get wet. Say a prayer over you. Pastor Todd or whoever's going to make the transition, come on up. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. We thank you for your holy scriptures. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your truth. 
as a means of helping us grow, helping us get closer to you, helping us to not be deceived in this hour. Help us, help us, help us to make your word a priority, to make prayer our lifeblood. Every day, prayer our lifeblood and help us to make your church, body of Christ, one of our primary appointments each week. May we make appointments with you every day throughout the day. May we make the word of God, the hunger of our life. May we gather with your people every week so that we shall not be deceived, but more so, so that we can thrive in this hour. This is our hour. We should be excited. We bless the ministry that's about to take place. May Jesus be glorified through salvation, deliverance, healing, baptisms of the Holy Spirit, marriage, restoration, relational restoration, addictions being broken. Do it all, Holy Spirit, for the glory of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Wow, thank you, Pastor Matt. Two things we're about to do. We're going to release letter A up these steps to my right, to your left, these steps right here. And as they're coming, I'm going to invite our prayer and altar team, those of you that are on our prayer and altar team, to be prepared to come and minister here at the front. So if you have letter A, come up these steps. Randy, if you'll take care of them. Colin is in the back right here. If you'll walk straight to him. If you have letter A right now move letter b in a few moments you'll see letter b on the screen directly behind me as you see the letter a letter b will come up shortly and that's when you too would make your way to this uh, platform up these steps pastor matt what a timely now word let him know how much you appreciate my goodness friend His presence is so sweet. Letter A, letter A. Altar team, would you come quickly? Letter, would you come, altar team, and just line up here at the front? As they're making their way to the front, if you need prayer for anything, any reason, uh, this is what we're going to be doing in the next few moments, praying for one another, ministering to one another. And so, altar team, thank you guys for coming, and we're going to be ministering and praying for folks. Our worship team is going to lead us, letter A. We're just moments away from immersions tonight, moments away. If you're not registered to be baptized, you can go out into the lobby area and we can get your name, register you. And uh, again, we have four pools. And so you're going to be ministered to in a timely fashion. Well over 100 people already are registered. There'll be many more. Take advantage of this moment. Father, bless this time. Thank you for our worship team. Thank you, Lord, for our baptismal teams. Thank you for our altar team. We ask that you move mightily here and in the water in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen.